Good evening. I want to start by just saying uh, I'm excited, uh, really, just for the time that, you know, this unique experience, honestly, that I've never been in a church that's had, you know, a split service of, of men here and uh, women somewhere else. And I, I just want to say I'm thankful for uh, a pastor who, you know, reads and studies the Word, and when the Bible says, hey, the aged women should teach the younger women, he said, okay, <laughs> and made it happen. So uh, we should be thankful for that tonight. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. The book of Titus is a pastoral epistle uh, that deals mainly with the order of the church uh, and its leadership, uh, as well as giving some encouragement uh, just to stick uh, with the stuff, to stick with the truth. Uh, it was written as a letter to Paul, uh, from Paul, sorry, to a fellow believer by the name of Titus. Um, and Paul, in verse 2 of chapter 1, he, he tells Titus uh, that he gives him a twofold purpose. Uh, the reason that, that Titus was to stay in Crete was for two reasons. Uh, Paul said, one, Titus, I need you to set up or fix things uh, that are lacking uh, in the church or churches here. And secondly, Titus, I, I want you to ordain pastors uh, in every city that, that, I've, that I'm telling you to do this in. Oh, and so as we go through chapter 1 and we find ourselves here in chapter 2 uh, tonight, uh, we'll look at verse 1. If you'd stand with me as we read uh, from the Word of God, Titus chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says to Titus, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. And here tonight we're going to begin uh, at the top of a list. Uh, that Paul gives to Titus. Uh, the aged women should teach the, the younger women these things. And what we're going to try to do tonight uh, is that the aged men, I'm not very old, uh, but I got thrown into the, the seasoned uh, men here, uh, but the aged men will teach the younger. And we start here in verse chapter 2. He says that the aged men be sober. If you skip down to verse 6, he says, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. And let's skip down to verse 11 and finish out the chapter. For the grace of God, Paul is charging Titus, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. In this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. You may be seated. As uh, we got our preaching schedule uh, for this summer, uh, as I was reading down the list, at first I was scared because as I'm going, uh, my name, the very first name, was written in red. And I thought, oh man, I'm in trouble. I, I, something's wrong, right? Um, and, and instead, it was just telling us of what we were doing here with the, uh, the men all together and the women all together. Um, and when I saw in parentheses next to my name on the topic that I would be preaching on, uh, it just said sober. 
And my first thought is probably what all of you are thinking is that uh, tonight we're going to be talking about uh, don't drink alcohol, right? Uh, stay sober. I mean, and while that might be true in, in some cases, and that's where we might hear the word sober uh, more frequently today, that's not what I'm going to be talking about tonight. Um, instead, the word sober really means uh, a lot more than that. It's a deeper meaning than just to, to stay away from alcohol. While the Bible definitely teaches that, uh, it teaches very clearly it's a foolish thing to be uh, taken advantage of or be under the influence of alcohol or any substance. Uh, instead, the Bible teaches us that we ought to be under the influence and, the, and yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God. But, we'll end with that there. What I'd like to talk about tonight is how the word sober means to be in your right mind. To be under control. To take serious. To be clear-headed. We could say tonight that to live a sober Christian life is to take the life that God gave you serious by living with a clear and focused purpose based on God's Word. I'm going to say that one more time uh, because honestly, there's so many different ways you can take the word sober, but I really want to get this in our head as we start moving forward. Uh, To live a sober Christian life is to take the life that God gave you serious by living with clear and focused purpose based on God's Word. Does anyone have uh, trouble waking up in the morning? Uh, I am not a morning person by any means. Uh, and if you're anything like me, it takes a lot to wake me up. I set uh, alarms that go off every five to ten minutes. Um, and typically I'm like two hours in before I wake up. Uh, it's one of my worst qualities. Uh, my wife does not like it at, at all, to say the least. Um, but has anybody ever uh, maybe been taking a shower or, and somebody came over and poured cold water over the shower curtain? And, and that immediate feeling that uh, the world seems clearer, right? And you, you start to see things you've never seen before. Or maybe that feeling when you're, you're leaning back in a chair and, and everything's fine and dandy until you lean a little too far and your life flashes before your eyes, right? Maybe it's um, when you're driving. I do this more times than I ought to. But when you're driving and all of a sudden you, it's like everything comes back to focus and you're like, I, I don't think I was even paying attention for the last five minutes that I've been driving. Or maybe it's something as serious as losing someone that's close to you or a loved one that really brings your life into reality. Amen. Tonight, I honestly, I have three points. They're not uh, crazy. I'm not going to blow your mind tonight with, with new truth. But really to encourage you and to encourage all of us uh, with three truths that I think are, are honestly spiritual uh, glasses of water being thrown in our face uh, to wake us up and to ask ourselves the question, am I living uh, a sober life? Am I living my life uh, for the things of this world? Am I getting distracted? Am I veering off the path that God would have me to live? Or am I living a sober, focused, purposeful life with God's Word in my heart and on my mind, living every day soberly for God's glory and for the furtherance of His kingdom in this world? You might ask yourself, how do I know that I'm living a sober life? How do I know for sure that I'm living a life uh, that is sober, that is focused, that is I'm living in my right mind? First tonight, 
My, uh, Brittany, my wife, she said that my points were a little wordy, uh, but I didn't change them. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't know. But number one, so stick with me, to be sober-minded is to realize that our Savior Jesus Christ is far, far better than anything that this sin-cursed world has to offer. To be sober-minded, to ask yourself this question, am I living a sober life? To be sober-minded first is to realize that our Savior Jesus Christ is far, far better than anything that our world has to offer us. Look at chapter uh, uh, Titus 2, verse 11. He says, he begins here, uh, and I'll be honest with you, as I was um, really working on my message a couple nights ago, um, I was sitting in my cluttered, um, I'll call it an attic. It's our upstairs, but it's more like an attic. We just store things there. And I was sitting at the table, and I, and I just kept reading the, my verse over and over again, that the aged men be sober, and uh, that the young, my, uh, young men likewise ought to be sober-minded. And I just kept kind of going over that. But I, I, would, I never finished the chapter for whatever reason. And as I began to keep reading, I, I could feel the intensity in Paul as he was writing to Titus. Uh, he's saying these things, Titus, they're very important. I'm leaving you in Crete. He says, I'm leaving you in Crete for very important reasons. Because the people here, uh, they need to be encouraged. They need to be grounded in the truth. Uh, we need pastors. They need to be ordained. Uh, and there are a lot of things that you need to set in order. When I leave, Titus, this is your responsibility. Hey, teach the aged men, uh, and even the Bible says uh, that the aged men, that they be sober, that they can teach the young men to be sober. And Paul continues to go, and he gives him this long list that we'll be learning about from uh, the next few Wednesdays from here on out. Uh, but he gives him this list, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Paul begins to just charge Titus. Uh, Titus, and look at verse 11. Titus, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Titus, you have a very important uh, job here, a very important high responsibility that I'm putting uh, in your lap and that I'm trusting you with uh, in my stead. But Titus, don't get it twisted. This is for the glory of God. This is for the work of the, of the gospel, for the grace of God, the grace that saved him, uh, the grace that saved Paul, that saved Titus, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. Paul always takes it back to what's important. Paul always takes it back to the gospel. Hey, we're not just doing things for fun. We're not just doing things because it seems cool. Uh, we're not just splitting up the men in here and the women in there because Brother Wally wanted to just mix things up and, uh, and catch everybody off guard. But no, we're, we're following the Bible. We're trying to teach the Bible. Uh, we're trying to understand what God is trying to tell us and that we can, when we not just sit here but live outside of these walls, that we're living it. Uh, that our faith is growing, uh, that the salvation that has appeared to all men, that's appeared to us, uh, that we are all sitting in here, uh, and somebody has given us the gospel, hopefully at some point. Amen. Ever since Adam ate of the fruit uh, in the Garden of Eden, we've all been dealing in this world with the same problem. Yep. It's a sin problem. Every man, every woman, every child that's ever born into this world is dealing with this same sin problem. Uh, my son, Jasper, you probably see him constantly running away from me in here and then screaming and crying when I pick him up. Um, he 
is only a year and a half old, uh, but I can tell you it didn't take long for me to be reminded of the fact that every child is born with a sin nature. Every child. And as we think about uh, the sin that's, that's plaguing our world, uh, that we're drawn to, to do things that we ought not to do. We're drawn to uh, look at things that we ought not to look at, to go places we ought not to go, to say things we ought not to say because of that sin nature that is uh, inside of us. And that sin nature that has separated us once from God. When we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, uh, what happens is that we get saved and that we get uh, brought in the fellowship of God our Father and our Creator. And I want to ask you tonight, when's the last time uh, you've thought about that day that you got saved? Do you remember the, the, the first time you got, not the first time you got saved, the only time you got saved, uh, but when you got saved, the, the excitement that, that came over your soul? Do you remember calling people or, or just telling everybody you knew, hey, I, hey, something's changed in my life. I'm, I'm not the same guy that I used to be. There's uh, something different uh, because Jesus Christ has changed my life. I, I remember I was 18. I was at Pensacola Christian College. I was sitting in my dorm room. I've been in church my entire life. But as an 18-year-old sitting in my dorm room, uh, I was reading the account of Jesus on the cross, a story that I could tell uh, over and over again since the time I was probably 10 years old. Yet as I was sitting there and reading that over and over again, uh, I kept asking myself, why isn't it clicking? Why, why, don't I, uh, why am I not grasping what this is telling me? I, I have it here, but it, I know for a fact I don't have it here and I don't understand what I need to do. And it was there in my dorm room at the age of 18 that I kept reading that over and over again. And for the first time in my life, uh, it finally clicked. Amen. That Jesus died, uh, not just on a cross, just for anybody, though He did. Uh, he didn't just die on the cross um, for the worst of the world, though He did. But, but for the first time in my life, I realized that Jesus Christ died for Phil Sammons. Amen. That He died for me. And that that grace... Uh, that he was offering, that gift of salvation that he was offering, it wasn't uh, to everybody else, but it was to all men, and I was included. And I remember I, I called so many people back home in Ohio, and I, and I would call them, hey, did you know that, like, do you get it that Jesus actually like, died for you? And they're like, yeah, I, yeah, we've known this our whole lives. I'm like, yeah, I know, but did you, do you get it? Like, do you know this? And that excitement and that zeal, and let me ask you this. Do you remember the first time you sinned after you were saved? Do you remember the disappointment, the discouragement, the feeling of this again? I'm still dealing with that. And for the first time that we realized that the grace that it took to save us, this grace that bringeth salvation that appeared to all men, uh, it wasn't just a one-time thing. Amen. That that grace... That bring us salvation, we need it every day. We need it every time that we sin. We, uh, we constantly need this grace. And I say all that to say this. You said, Phil, you gave us a point and then you went in another direction. I say all that to say this. We know that grace that brings salvation, we need it for salvation. We need it every day for the sin that we commit. But then you look at verse 12. 
And it gets us back on track to thinking about, uh, we know this truth, we have it in our heads, we have it in our hearts, uh, but what does that mean? Uh, In verse 12 it says, teaching us, so what we just talked about, what that teaches us is that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. We should live righteously. We should live godly in this present world. We should. And when we, when we learned of this and when we're, we're teaching this and uh, when God was showing me this, man, it broke my heart, honestly. It broke my heart to, to think about uh, how many times in our lives uh, that we, we say we're Christians, we know we're Christians, we've had the experience, we've had the encounter with Christ, uh, our sins have been washed away by the blood of Christ, by the blood of the Lamb that uh, Alex uh, sang about. Uh, we know that, but how often do we live uh, as though we've never been saved? How often do we live as if we're still shackled in our sin? If we want to live a sober life, how do I know that I'm living soberly? How do I know that I'm living focused? It's knowing that the grace that saved you, you need it. Uh, When you got saved, you need it every day of your life because sin is still abounds. But where sin does abound, grace did much more abound. And what that ought to teach us is if we want to live soberly, uh, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us uh, this denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Something that we all face since the day we're born. The, the, the flashy things that this world has to offer, the money, the fame. And you think, well, there's no way I'm going to get famous. Uh, but how many of us are, are living for that paycheck, right? How many of us are, are chasing a career How many of us are chasing things that the world has to offer uh, that are honestly distractions from actually living a sober life? We get distracted here, we get distracted there. So many shiny things that the world has to offer. And Paul is charging Titus, Titus, make sure that everyone there is sober. The top of my list, your to-do list of teaching these older men to teach the younger men. And number one, be sober. There's a world that is distracting us from so many things uh, that Satan has put in place uh, that are trying to get you off track, that are trying to get you outside of God's will. And Paul says, uh, Titus, uh, stay focused on the task at hand. Uh, Stay focused. Stay in your right mind. Uh, These things seem nice, but they are distracting. They'll tear you down. Uh, They'll get you out of the will of God. Titus, make sure uh, that that grace, uh, that grace that appeared to you, that appeared to all of us who have known Christ, uh, that that grace hath appeared to all men and it's teaching us to deny it. Get out of it. Don't get distracted. Deny the godliness. You know what this teaches us? That every day we're going to encounter some sort of ungodliness, uh, uh, some type of worldly lust, Amen. and we need God's grace to deny it. Jesus Christ himself told his disciples to deny yourself. To take up your cross daily and follow me. How many of us are doing that? Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. A familiar parable. I want you to see this. Uh, We know the story of the prodigal son, a man who had two sons, um, and one decided one day, he said, I want my inheritance now. I know you have something for me in the future, but I want it now. 
And his father obliged and gave him what he asked for. And we learned that the son, he took all uh, his, his inheritance and he went out and he spent it on riotous living. Uh, I, he was hanging out with his friends. He was doing anything he wanted, buying anything he wanted. Uh, but what he found uh, was that although he got his in- inheritance early and although he was living the life that he thought he wanted, he found himself in a pig's pen. And at the moment that he began to think about eating what the pigs were eating, I want you to see what it says. In verse number 17, these six words, as he's holding the slop of the pigs, hungry, he's wasted all of his money on riotous living. He's so hungry, he's getting ready to eat it, and this is what the Bible tells us in verse 17. And when he came to himself. When he got that splash of water in his face, when when the reality of what was happening in his life came to a point where, where he came to himself and said, wait a minute. And look what he says. When he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He's sitting there and he says, I'm about to eat this pig slop, but when the reality of his decision to get his inheritance early and to spend it all on what he thought he wanted it on, when he came and he sobered up, this isn't what I thought I wanted. This isn't what I thought I was getting myself into. How often uh, do we as believers do the same thing? We, we've, we've believed in Christ. We, we know what God's called in our life. Uh, we know that He's given us uh, a manual for how to live our life. He's given us every answer uh, that we could ever ask uh, in His Word. And yet we say, "Why? Well, I don't really want this right now. I don't really want to go to church. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. In fact, I want to do uh, just about anything else. I'd like to do anything that I would like to do and what my heart is telling me to do and what we need to do tonight, men, because I think we get distracted. And you're, you're listening and you're probably thinking, yeah, there are people out there that do that. But no, honestly, I think we do it every day of our life. Honestly. And how burdened I became in my own life. How often every day I wake up and I, maybe I'm not praying right away. I'm not reading my Bible. How often I put the things of the world before my relationship with my Savior. The one who gave His grace and brought salvation to me. The one that gave His life on Calvary for me. And we get so distracted and we work the 9 to 5's and we, and we go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and we're, we're going through the motions, but at what point do we wake up and we sober up and say, wait a second, I'm not living the way I ought to be living. Hey, that's sin that God saved me from. I'm still living in it. I'm still waking up every morning. Instead of living in freedom, I'm putting those chains back on. To be sober-minded is to realize that our Savior Jesus Christ is far better than anything. Anything that this sin-cursed world has to offer. Number two, to be sober-minded means to realize that Satan is actively attempting to destroy your life. 
1 Peter 5.8, if you want to turn your Bibles there, it's a familiar passage, but we'll read it together. 1 Peter 5.8. Again, these are, these are just truths that ought to wake us up, ought to get us back on track, ought to sober us up. How do I know I'm living a sober life? To be sober-minded is to realize that Satan is actively attempting to destroy your life. 1 Peter 5.8, let's read it together, if I can get there. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Uh, I'm not one to go looking for enemies, honestly. Um, if anything, I, I tend to be a, a people pleaser. Or I tend to just stay in the background and try not to get involved in anything that would cause any type of uh, conflict whatsoever. That's just, I've always been that way. But you know, there's an enemy that, that I have regardless of what I choose to do. There's an enemy that everyone in here has and has had your entire life. The enemy of Satan. Satan, the great enemy of God, though there's no comparison in power, uh, Satan is constantly against God's will. Against what God is trying to do in your heart and in my heart and in the lives of, of all men, that the salvation that hath appeared to all men, uh, Satan is constantly against that. Actively attempting to destroy your life. Uh, there would be nothing that makes Satan happier than to see you uh, not pick up your Bible. Than to see you not spend time in prayer. Than to see you, uh, instead of yielding to the Holy Spirit, when you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to, to preach the gospel to somebody, to give a tract, to show some love, to show some kindness, maybe a little mercy, when you turn your back on the things of God, when you're, you're living a distracted life, not a sober minded life. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to make Satan smile. <clears throat> Ephesians 6 and verse 11, another familiar passage you can turn there. Uh, we'll read just a few verses. Ephesians chapter 6, another familiar passage. Verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, all of us in here tonight, we, we've acknowledged this, this sobering fact that Satan is actively attempting to destroy our life, and yet here we have Paul uh, uh, telling us, uh, hey, there's something that we can do. 
hey, put on the whole armor of God. Uh, put on each piece. And he goes through each uh, piece of armor of God and, and tells us why it's important. Uh, I guarantee that tonight, if someone were to break into your home, uh, you would do everything in your power to protect uh, yourself, to protect your family. You would do anything. Everything. You would give your own life to protect your family. Yet how, how sad that a lot of us, knowing this, an active intruder in our lives, an active enemy, we don't pray. We don't pray for our, our spouse. He's not just trying to destroy my life and your life. Everyone over there, everyone in the, every kid in the nursery tonight, yep. Satan's trying to get them too. Amen. And if we would do anything in our power to protect our family physically, I think it's a good time to sober up and maybe get on our hands and knees and ask God to protect our families. Amen. Ask God to protect our children. With the world that we live in today, it seems like every day, uh, whether I'm on social media or, or, or just uh, seeing anything about what the world is doing and, and how Roe vs. Wade can be overturned and, and how excited I was, and yet when I went to work the next day, everyone that I walked by said, can you believe this? What? I was taken back. You'd think I would have uh, been prepared for that, knowing that the, the world that we live in isn't seeking God. Not seeking uh, to live the way that God has put forth in His Word. Men, we ought to pray for our families. Amen. We ought to pray for our children. Every time I see something or I read something that, that is so anti God, that is so anti God's Word, and I think, how am I supposed to raise my children? Honestly. There are days when I scratch my head and think, what a, what's my answer for that? Well, it starts with me praying, Amen. seeking guidance. It starts with us being in the Word of God and at least knowing that when something wrong is happening, at least our, our, our radar goes off and we know, hey, that's not right. That's not God's Word. That's not how God intended things to be. Amen. Mark chapter 5 uh, in verse 15, we'll turn there and then uh, we'll, we'll begin to wind things down. Uh, but we have an enemy tonight. Amen. I mean, a, a truth. Uh, in Ephesians 6, he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's not our biggest enemy. Uh, that, that guy on Facebook, uh, that, that, that knucklehead at your job, that's not your enemy. Right. Hey, the men sitting in here next to you, that's not your enemy. Amen. Hey, your spouse, that's not your enemy. Satan, the devil, the deceiver, that's the one. That's the one we ought to be uh, being sober-minded and getting back on track. Hey, hey these other distractions, those, those don't matter. What matters is getting my mind right, getting my heart right, uh, getting right with God, getting my prayer life right, getting uh, my, my Bible reading squared away. Mark chapter 5 uh, we have the story of uh, the man who is possessed. 
uh, with not just one demon, uh, but many. And in fact, uh, when Jesus is speaking to him, he, he says that we are legion. Or I am legion, for we are many. And we know the story is, um, let's just read a little bit here in verse 1 of chapter 5 of, of Mark. It says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarens. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. It's a scary scene that that the Bible has just painted for us. And immediately as Jesus and his disciples got off the boat, they're face to face with this man. Verse 6 says, But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And we'll skip down, and we, we find a dialogue between Jesus and the, the unclean spirits, and, and they ask for permission to be cast out of this man and into um, some pigs that were nearby, and, and we know that they go flying off a cliff and they all die. But what I want to focus on for just a minute is what happens to the man in verse 15. In verse 15 it says, And they came... Come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those last few words, and in his right mind. You see, Satan uh, didn't just send one unclean spirit to this man. he, He had many. He said, I'm legion for we are many. And what this tells me that no matter what evil is out there, no matter what Satan puts in our path, Jesus Christ is stronger. Jesus Christ is more powerful. He is greater uh, than anything uh, that this world can throw at us, that Satan can throw at us. Uh, Jesus, when he encountered this man who had all these demons and was possessed uh, and was doing all these terrible acts, and no man, the Bible says, no man could stop him, no chains could stop him, but Jesus could. Amen. When he encountered Christ, he was sitting and he was clothed and he was sober. Amen. He was in his right mind. Can I encourage you tonight? Though there is Satan, though we are actively, he's actively attempting to destroy our lives, we can still live a sober life because we have the truth and we can have faith in the fact that God is greater. Now, the Bible teaches that if God be for us, who can be against us? That's a good feeling. That one always gives me chills. Every time I read it, every time I say it, if God be for us, who can be against us? There is no answer. No one. No one can. We have just a couple minutes left. I'll give you this final point. Uh, To be sober-minded is to realize that your life, whether by death 
or by the coming again of Jesus Christ can end at any moment. If you want to wake up, if you want to sober up in your life, uh, you need to come to grips with this truth. Honestly. That your life at any moment, whether you die or whether Jesus raptures us home, it can end at any moment. In the twinkling of an eye, the Bible teaches us that Christ can return, uh, that we'll hear the trumpet sound and we'll be gone. Or if it's God's will, uh, that any of us, we could die in our seat right now. That's a sobering thought. James chapter 4, verse 14, you have to turn there, we're short on time. Uh, but Paul, or James tells us that our life is like a vapor. It's here for a moment and then it's gone. It goes fast. You know, when you're um, growing up and you're a teenager and then all of a sudden you're 20 and now I'm 26 and I don't know where the time's gone. I've got uh, two kids and I, I don't even know what's going on. I don't know how to do that. But here I am, and my life is moving. And it's not going to stop. <laughs> it's not going to stop for any of us. It's short. Now, we also learn in, in Hebrews 9 that the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Uh, you see, there's a sobering fact that you're put on this earth for a reason. Uh, you, you were saved on purpose for a purpose. Uh, to live godly, uh, to live out your faith, to be a light in a dark world uh, for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, to live a sober-minded, focused life, living in your right mind, focused on what is important, not in what is the distraction of the world, uh, but that we live in, in light. Uh, if we go home tonight and say, how can I know that I'm living a sober-minded life? Uh, first, uh, it's realizing that Christ is far better than anything that this world has to offer. Amen. That Satan is actively trying to destroy your life. And finally tonight, um, that your life, whether by death or by the rapture and the coming again of Jesus Christ, uh, that our lives can end any moment. Can I challenge you tonight? Sober up. Amen. Get things squared away. Life is too short to waste any time on things that will pass away. God's word will never pass away. God's not going anywhere. He's always been here. He always will be here. God said, I am that I am. Anything that we work for in this world will pass away. Moth will corrupt it. Things will decay. You can't take anything with you when you die. Today is a good day to sober up, to get back on track in your Bible reading, to get back on track in your prayer life, and that we can honestly check off number one on the list that Paul gave to Titus. Be sober. Amen. Pastor Watch.